<laughs> Lord, we thank you for being with us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we ask that you would come and teach us this morning. Amen. Can we all start by taking a deep breath together? That's good. Doesn't it feel good? Because it's, it's been a difficult year. Sometimes it's necessary to take deep breaths. I saw somebody um, post something recently that was just, uh, when you see it written out, you realize what a difficult year 2020 has been. So they're looking at past years with tense developments such as 1973 when we had an impeachment of one of our presidents. That was really difficult because it tore the country apart. Now, no matter what you thought about the politics of that, that's difficult. Well, guess what? We had an impeachment situation here in January. Do you even remember that? It was crazy. It seems so long ago. But no matter what your stance is on politics, that's difficult, isn't it? And then, then they said, well, in the year 1918, there was a global pandemic, the Spanish flu. That's really difficult. Well, this year in 2020, we also find ourselves in a global pandemic. And then in 1968, we had this terrible situation happen with all of these horrible racial injustices, and then it spilled out into, the protests spilled out into riots all across the country, and it was incredibly difficult in 1968. And guess what? This is where we are in 2020. All of these things happening the same year to the same country, and we're not even halfway through the year yet. Like, this is a lot. It's a lot. So the trauma of this year is very real, and, and, and we need to understand that. And sometimes uh, when times are tense, sometimes we can find it easier to compromise. Like we can start thinking that the urgency of the situation, uh, you know, makes it unnecessary to, to continue to follow the way of Jesus, you know? Um, like, like this. I saw this recently. Um, oh boy, where is it? Um, I saw this. Oh, here we go. Right here. If it's going to come up. Come on, you can do it. Maybe not. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. I saw a, a seminary professor just posted that, just that alone. And here was the response, right? The response. We go to the next slide there. Next response was, was uh, that's a nice, worthwhile thought. <laughs> that's a nice, worthwhile thought, but I'm afraid we're way beyond that now. I was thinking, okay, I don't know who posted that response. I don't know if the person was a believer or an unbeliever or some bot that some foreign government unleashed. I don't know who it was or what it was, but I hope and pray that was not someone who, who claims to be a believer. Because I've seen way too much of this absolute nonsense where we treat love uh, uh, like a means to an end, which is a political gains or, or, or some cultural win. And, 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 if, and if the stakes get too high, we just throw love off. Hey, it's on now. That, you guys, is abominable behavior for a believer. And we've seen way too much of it. Here's what happens. We, we get in tense situations and we go, well, 
this election, most important of my lifetime, and then the next election, you say it again, and you say it again, and things get, you, 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 you start viewing everything through a lens of, like we're on the verge of the apocalypse if this thing doesn't happen. Therefore, we don't really have to love anymore. We don't really have to forgive anymore because that was a means to an end, but we're past that. And this is the environment we often find ourselves in. And I look around at the landscape of social media and I see what the world does. I see how the world just throws one another under the bus at any chance they get. I see them uh, 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 reaming each other out and screaming and name calling and canceling one another and all of this stuff. And I think, okay, that's their thing. But what about for me and my house? What about us and our house? That should not be named among us, friends that should not be named among us. And it's hard because what happens is during tense times like this, if you're in that social media world too much, there's all this pressure. There's all this pressure to, to, to put your words out there. More words, more words, and sometimes we don't have words. And I, I think I would rather us step back, take a breath, listen, learn, pray, and figure out what in the world we think to figure out how am I going to respond in love? Because if you can't respond in love, it's much better to keep your mouth shut. And I think we know that, but it's something when, when, when that tension rises within us, I just think it's good for all of our mental health to take a step back and breathe and pray, to take that step back and say, Lord, help me right now in this moment. We've all been doing that here. That's what I've been doing is taking a bit of a step back from some of the social media stuff and our pastoral staff as well to, to, to talk with people who don't look like us, to listen, to, uh, to, to read, to watch videos, to hear different perspectives and, and just try to understand before we're just throwing words at The Proverbs has a lot to say about throwing out words before you know what you're talking about. And so we wanna be people who, who listen and who listen well. And that's what we've been trying to do. Um, there was a, a one wonderful book. You put up that, uh, that cover there um, that I read called Under Our Skin by Benjamin Watson. Uh, getting real about race, uh, getting free from the fears and frustrations that divide us. This is a wonderful book. It was a challenging book, uh, and I highly recommend it. He's a wonderful uh, man of God. He's also a pro football player, um, and he spoke to these, some of these issues in ways that really challenged me and also gave me hope. And I feel like right now, we, it's good for us to seek out voices of hope. And he's, he's one. Of, we're going to see another voice of hope here um, in just a little while. So... I grew up, you guys, in Youth of the Mission, um, it, which is the world's largest uh, missions agency. And that means, uh, even though I lived in East Texas, I didn't really get much of an opportunity to develop a Texan accent because there were people with every accent imaginable that I was around all the time. We lived in the community, we went to a YWAM school, had all of these you know, uh, uh, different uh, races, these ethnicities, these languages, all of this. I mean, even my own family is a... a multi-ethnic, multinational family. I have three adopted siblings, and my youngest brother, Ivan, uh, didn't speak a word of English until he was eight years old, because he grew up in, in uh, the nation of Colombia. So I've seen, uh, I've seen the beauty of what can happen when races come together. I've also seen a lot of difficulty um, that, that arises. Like, there's inevitable tensions, and, and navigating is tricky. But the most beautiful thing I ever saw in this regard 
was, uh, happened about 19, 20 years ago when I was going through a one-year Bible program in, in Texas. And, and that school had 36 students from 18 different nations. Imagine that. All six continents represented. I have no idea how many languages were represented, but there were many. Jeff Starr was in the leadership of that school, and as they were preparing for all of us to come, they prayed and they felt like here was the word from the Lord, that this was going to be a school with the spirit of divine unity. Because that was the only way it was going to work, right? You've got that much diversity represented. Like, Lord, we need your help here to know how to, how to love one another. Well, it became a very close school. Deep, deep, lasting friendships came out of that. And about halfway through the year, um, we developed uh, an international worship team and choir. And uh, this was one of the most amazing things. There were a lot of people who were very good singers and, and musicians. So we all jumped in there. And here's what this looked like. We would go to uh, different churches around the area. And uh, I think there were about 20 of us. It was like half the school was a part of this. And, uh, and it would start like this. Start with my, my man, George Nita. You guys know George, our, our missionary to Papua New Guinea. This is where I met him, and this is where we really bonded, became, became brothers. And he would come out, he would pull out his guitar. You guys know George, like, hey, hey, yeah. And he'd start playing this song from the jungle. He'd play a song in the pigeon language that he, he would sing in his village, and it was a worship song. And it went like this. Big Pelagisu, kisi me beklo. Pasi no good, me long dis ground. Forgive me, George, I know. I've got this consonants wrong, so if you're watching, forgive me, my brother. And, and we would all jump in and sing this song. All of us from all around the world would jump in and we'd sing this song. You go, hallelujah, hey, hallelujah. We'd all jump in. And people would just, wow, this is cool. And George would step back. And then our Puerto Rican contingent would get up and they would start singing the Spanish song and we'd start on the conga drums and they'd start the dancing and they would, and it was so beautiful. And we'd do that with, with, with language after language. And people would say, wow, this is what heaven's gonna be like. And I loved it when they said it, because you always knew it was coming, you're like, it, it's really true. But without a doubt, my very favorite, all of our very favorite songs were the African songs. We had uh, uh, several different African nations represented, but we had these two ladies, these vocalists from Zimbabwe who had these powerful voices. And when they started to sing these songs, you just get chills. And everybody then forming this choir, singing along with them. And the, the, our favorite song was, it went like this. Hakuna wakaita sa Jesu. Hakuna wakaita saya. And it really is true, guys. I know hakuna and you think matata, but this was the real words. Hakuna wakaita sa Jesu. Haku hakuchina. And everybody joining in and singing up the song. And, and it would rise and people would get up and they'd be dancing in like East Texas. Let's all say law on that. And, and, and she'd sing again, and then in the last iteration, she would sing it in English. And here's what we would sing. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one, there's no one like him. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. There's no one, there's no one like him. As I think back to, to that year, I think back to that song, it reminds me of this. Jesus offers something so much greater than the answers the culture offers. The culture cries out for things like civility and tolerance. 
Civility and tolerance. The culture cries out for coexistence. You guys, those are like, this is like the lowest bar possible for getting, imagine this. Do you, are you, Doug, Donna, you guys seem to like each other. Do you, are you tolerating one another? Are you coexisting? Like, what is that? It's like the easiest thing imaginable. It's the lowest bar. Jesus says this, love one another and become one. That's what he offers. That's what he commands for us. He says, you can live in the spirit of divine unity. That's what he calls his church to. That's why when done well, the church has been the one to lead the way on the healing of the races. That's why Martin Luther King was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And that is what, that's the privilege that we have is to show the world a better way. I was gonna preach on Ephesians 2 this week and unity and peace and then I stumbled across Dr. Tony Evans is one of my heroes preaching on the same thing. In fact, this is in Right Now Media, and this is a 13-minute video. It's the first of, there's like six of these on here, okay? Uh, I strongly recommend, in fact, you'll probably want to watch it after you watch this. But I'm just going to let Dr. Evans teach us for the next 13 minutes. The issue of race has dominated America since its inception. Our inability to resolve and solve this challenge has been an asterisk on an otherwise uh, impeccable reputation for our country. Divisions show up in race and class and culture that has created wars, created internal conflicts, family divisions, riots, and all manner of other expressions of this horrible divide. What's even worse is that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, it's often the most segregated hour of the week. While people will play basketball together, while people will do drugs together, while people will do a whole bevy of things together when it comes to racial relationships, especially in the Christian context, they often break up and go their separate ways. So there needed to be a definitive word about race from God's perspective. You see, there are two answers to every question, God's answer and everybody else's, and everybody else's wrong. The reason why this racial divide has not been able to be resolved like it ought to have been resolved a long time ago is because we're not operating from God's point of view or what I call a kingdom perspective on the subject. You know, the Olympics happened uh, every four years and, and our nation, as every nation, is represented. Uh, when we show up, when America shows up at the Olympic Games, people from different races and cultures and classes all converge to demonstrate their individual skills, individual abilities to do the best they can to win a gold medal. When we win a gold medal, they do not ask the gold medalist what your favorite song is they play the song of the nation of which they represent, the United States of America, because their individual performance is tied to a bigger agenda. They represent another kingdom. They represent this country. If we could view our racial differences as intentional as part of a bigger agenda, what I call the kingdom agenda, the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of life, 
then we can play God's song and allow our individual uniquenesses to coalesce for the advancement of gold medals for that kingdom. We're living in a day when people want to not embrace race. They want to talk about it as though everybody should be amalgamated and become uh, uniform in this whole issue of race. But that was never God's design. God's design was for there always to be racial differences among people. In fact, those differences go all the way into eternity. For example, in Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, the Apostle John said he looked up to heaven and when he did, he saw people from every nation, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. These people in eternity still had their racial differences and they were visible. That's because God is in the variety and he always wants there to be his variation among his people in the various races that he has established. So the goal of racial unity is not sameness, it's oneness. That's why we called our book Oneness Embraced. We want to embrace the differences. We want to celebrate the differences apart from sin, but the uniquenesses that God has given to each of us we want to grab them, own them, celebrate them, rejoice in them, and utilize them for the advancement of his kingdom. Now that raises a question. What is unity and why is it important? Unity can be defined as oneness of purpose. It's not sameness of being. It means you're moving toward a common goal. You're moving toward a, a common agenda utilizing, embracing, recognizing, and appreciating the differences everyone brings to the table. Now, this is no small issue, and here's why. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed a prayer that will blow your mind and that will underscore why this issue of unity, particularly racial unity, is absolutely critical. Jesus says in John 17, verse 21, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Jesus Christ says unity is absolutely critical if his name is going to be made great and if God's glory is going to be revealed. I don't care what else we do as Christians. If we do not address the unity issue across race and culture and class lines, we're blocking the witness of Christ and we're limiting the reflection of the glory of God. No matter how many church services you go to, how many prayer meetings you attend, if the enemy can bring about division, if the enemy can bring about illegitimate uh, fracturing and fissures in the family of God, our witness becomes a waste of time. This issue of unity must be solved. And it's because it hasn't been solved by God's people and has not yet been solved as it ought to have been by the church that the culture remains in disarray. God calls this unity one new man. In Ephesians, for example, 
chapter 2. Paul is writing to this church and he wants them to know how important unity is for the advancement of God's kingdom in history. And when he writes them, he says this. But now in Christ Jesus, verse 13 of Ephesians 2, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two one new man, thus establishing peace. Unity is based on peace and it brings about peace. He's talking to two racial groups. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who were divided for, forever, how the cross is um, the emulsifier. And uh, the process of emulsification is very interesting. It's a process of bringing things together that otherwise wouldn't fit. For example, uh, you take mayonnaise. I love me some mayonnaise on my sandwich. I am definitely a mayonnaise man and a mustard man. But mayonnaise is made up of products that can't get along. Oil and water. Oil and water don't mix, can't mix, won't mix. No matter what you do to stir them up and hook them up and get them together and roll them together and dice them together, they're going to break out to their own individual realms because they're just not made to get along. <laughs> their substances are different, their histories are different, their backgrounds are different. So you can't get mayonnaise out of oil and water, although you need oil and water to get mayonnaise. So how do we get mayonnaise? Because I love me some mayonnaise. It's the process of emulsification. Emulsification is that process where you introduce another object that can relate to the objects that do not connect in order to bring them together and hold them together so you can create something brand new, mayonnaise. When it comes to mayonnaise, the emulsifier, eggs. Eggs are introduced to oil and water. The eggs grab the oil, the eggs grab the water, and hooks them up. Brings them together so that they stay together so I can have some good sandwiches. Guess what? God has provided some emulsification. Ephesians 2 says it's the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ reaches out to people from different histories, different backgrounds, different cultures, different classes, and pulls them together and holds them together as long as they don't abandon the cross. You abandon the eggs, you don't get the mayonnaise. You abandon the cross, you don't get the unity. You know why we don't have racial unity like God designed it? We've abandoned the cross without abandoning the name. We keep the name, but we've abandoned what it means. It means more than just that I'm on my way to heaven. It means that God has transformed my identity on earth. I bleed red. The blood of Jesus Christ and our unity in him is the key to racial harmony. We can't ignore this issue any longer. It is absolutely critical that we take seriously this issue of oneness of purpose. You know, I've served a long time as chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm always speaking to football teams that come our way. I love football, played football, followed my son's brief NFL career in football, been a chaplain for football teams. And it's very interesting to watch 
a team get ready for a game. Teams are made up of people of different races, different backgrounds, different histories, different cultures, but you still only have one team. In our case, the Dallas Cowboys. When they take the field, their humanity stays intact, but they're covered by another uniform, and that uniform is the same on every player. They have oneness of uniform and function with oneness of purpose without denying their created humanity. You see, they have a goal in mind, and that is the goal line. They want to score, but all the positions aren't the same. People have different tasks, different roles, different functions, but they're all going to one goal. They're not arguing about where they're headed. They've got oneness of purpose, and the uniform identifies them and overrides whatever differences exist among them culturally or racially. You and I are supposed to have on the same uniform. It's supposed to be red. It's predicated on the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross, making one new man. Not just making you brand new, whether you're black or white or red or yellow, but making a whole new entity brand new so that he can advance his cause in history. God wants you to score some touchdowns for the kingdom of God, but you can't do it as a lone ranger. You can't do it by yourself. You got to do it as part of a team. And if the church can ever get it right, and we can ever let everyone know who enters our doors or who leaves them, that you're part of something bigger than you. And that as uh, James chapter 2 says, there's no place for discrimination because discrimination interferes with the advancement of God's kingdom. That's what James says. He says when you discriminate based on class, you've interfered with the kingdom of God. Are you blocking the kingdom of God or are you advancing it? Be proud of what God has made you. Embrace it. Just make sure you're headed toward God's goal line and not your own. Wasn't that good? I love what he says here. If we do not address the unity issue across race and culture and class lines, we are blocking the witness of Christ, and we are limiting the reflection of the glory of God. If the enemy can bring about the vision and the family of God, our witness becomes a waste of time. This is why I think Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. He wasn't talking about peace, like the absence of conflict. It was something so much greater than that. It was the joining together. That's the essence of what peace is in the New Testament, the joining together and, and wholeness being established. To invite peace, to make shalom, that is our role, friends. We're, that's what he's called us to, to come together, many diverse parts of one body, not to bring division ever, but to be bridge builders, to let people see Jesus. And the first part of our duty is this. We need to weep with those who weep. Because if one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Rather than rushing through in this moment of history that we're in, rather than trying to rush through and, okay, everybody just make it go back to the way it was. Okay, 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 because that's... That's everybody's tendency when you feel uncomfortable. It's everybody's tendency to want to rush through it. But it's upon us, guys, to listen, to mourn with those who mourn, 
to seek to understand and to help carry the burden. Two years ago, my son Jack, uh, you guys know, sitting back there right now. Um, of course, he has, he has autism and is uh, nonverbal. And, and two years ago, when he was 12, he was recovering from a surgery that made things really difficult, especially at night. Um, he, would, he would have meltdowns at night, and, and there would be lots of, uh, lots of screaming and, and for, that would go on for, for hours. And um, the, the thing that would calm him down was this. Um, Jack loves movies, and he's got his iTunes library, right? And so if, if, if we would just say the order of the movies in his library, he would calm down. Um, and he would stop screaming for just like maybe half a minute anyway. So it would be like, you know, the crying comes, and you go, Jack, one good dinosaur, two dragon one, three dragon two, and we go all the way up to 14. And that would, that would give a pause to the, the t you know, the tension and everything. And uh, anyway, that went on for uh, quite a long time, you know, probably about three months, but just a couple weeks into it, um, we decided we had to get his brothers out of the room because they just weren't sleeping at night. And uh, so we, we pulled Sam and Nathan and their blankets and pillows across the house and onto Emily's room on the floor. We said, guys, we just want you to be able to sleep. Well, my boy Sam, who many of you know is very obedient and compliant, and we have a wonderful relationship. And he was angry at me. He was so mad that I was taking him out. and brought him in there, and he's like, Dad, I want to stay in my room. What if Jack needs me? Because you see what would happen over and over at night, all through the night, is Jack would be crying, and Sam would say, Jack, one good dinosaur, two dragon one, three dragon two, over and over and over again. And I told him, I said, bud, um, you've just got to get some sleep and Jack is going to probably cry regardless and, and, and it just, we need to take care of you in this time as well. And he was so upset, we kissed him goodnight and we came out and we sat down on the couch and um, we were watching a movie then with the girls. and. And about two minutes later, Emily's bedroom door opens. And here's Sam. And he's got his pillow under his arm. And he's holding his blanket. And he steps out. And he looks at me. And his chin is quivering. He's got tears in his eyes. And he is walking, just locking eyes with me, daring me to stop him as he walks across the living room. Just keeps locking eyes with me, turns the corner, and goes back into his room so he can be with his brother. <laughs> I looked at Sarah. I've never been so proud of that boy in my entire life. <laughs> what if we were there for our brothers the way that Sam is there for his brother? What if we sought to weep with those who weep? What if that was really our heart's cry? Because right now, a whole bunch of our brothers and sisters are hurting. And the thing that's keeping many people from being able to weep with them are political things or whatever, or trying to jump to it. And, and right now, the thing that is called for is doing what my son did, saying, I need to be there for my brother because he needs me. That, you guys, is the spirit of divine unity that God has called us to. And it's a beautiful calling. And it's something that happens through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's not political. It's way more important than politics. 
It's something that's human, and it's something that's about family, because we are the family of God. This is why we use terms like brothers and sisters, because we're family. That's the beautiful call that we have, guys. Jesus, we need your help. Jesus, there are so many of us here, and we, we, we feel so helpless sometimes and we don't know what to do, and Lord, you see all of the complex issues that are just so big, and we need your help. Lord, would you break our hearts for the things that break your heart? Lord, would, would you help us, Lord, to identify? Would you help us, Lord, to come alongside those whose experiences are different? Lord, would you help us to hear? Lord, would you help us to push pause on trying to come up with solutions that we can't understand yet? Lord, we just need your help. Jesus, Jesus, we need your help. We need you, Lord. But Lord, we have so much hope because you are, as Dr. Evans said, the great emulsifier. Lord, you are. And I have hope, Lord, that your people can be a beacon in this time and that people can come as one and be brothers and be there for one another. Lord, help us to do that. Help us, help us to be that, that shining light, Lord, to a world that doesn't know how to become one. Start with us, Jesus. And we have hope in you today. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Praise be to God. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful week. It's so good to be together again.